I didn't look up how long it took when we did the Genesis series years ago to get all the way from Genesis 37 to Genesis 50. But I'm pretty confident um, it took a lot longer than tonight is going to take, um, or else we'd probably be here till next Sunday, and you'd be used to the time change by then. Um, we want to look at the life of Joseph. It takes up the last third, basically, of um, the saga in Genesis. And really the main theme of that story is how God turns evil to good. And so we're going to do a flyover. This is almost like the satellite view, just to get, kind of trace the storyline and then pull from it the main point that God gets across uh, in this storyline. So I've broken it out this way. In Genesis 37, we start with the fact with love as Joseph is the favored son of Jacob, of all his sons, and then he has dreams, and because of that love and because of those dreams, his brothers hate him. They hate him enough to murder him. They decide at the last minute not to murder him, and they sell him into slavery. The slave traders take him down to Egypt. There in Egypt, in Genesis 39 to 40, he meets with success because the Lord is with him. That success brings him into prominence. Uh, Potiphar's wife falsely accuses him, so he ends up in prison. But we're told that the Lord was with him. They're in prison. Cupbearer and the baker have dreams. Uh, Joseph, you remember, started off with dreams. And in this case, he interprets the dreams and the, um, I forget which one got killed and which one didn't. Um, one of them is killed. And uh, which one is killed? The baker. Okay. And the cupbearer is restored to his position after three days. And he's supposed to tell Pharaoh about Joseph's plight, but he forgets for two years. That's why the ellipsis, there was some time that passes. And lo and behold, Pharaoh has dreams. Well, that leads in verses 41 to 50 to promotion because Joseph interprets the dreams. He's made second in command to Pharaoh to oversee preparing um, for the seven years of famine, the seven years of plenty, and then the seven years of famine. God uses Joseph to rescue the nation of, Israel, of Egypt from that famine, but also to rescue the children of Israel who, who then move down to Egypt in order to be where Joseph is. There's restoration uh, between Joseph and his brothers. Of course, his dad moves there as well. The whole, all the children of Israel move down. There's repentance, and then there's forgiveness given. And then finally, as we end in chapter 50, you see faith as Joseph is dying. He says, God's going to visit you, and he's going to take you back to the land of promise. Make sure you take my bones with you. Okay, that's the flyover. Let's look at some of these verses and let's draw some principles. First, let's start with Joseph being the favored son, one loved most by his father Jacob, and then the dreams that he has. In Genesis 37, verses 4 through 8, we read, But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, remember his father gave him this fancy coat that showed that he favored him, um, they hated him and could not speak 
peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream. This is going to make matters even worse. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we are binding sheaves in the field. And behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. You know, if you're the young, hated brother, don't tell your other brothers dreams like that. His brother said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? We're going to find out the answer is yes. Uh, are, are you indeed to rule over us? The answer will be yes. So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. And he has other dreams, another dream that's similar to this, that predicts that one day his entire family will bow down to him. Now, a couple questions as you think about that story. Why, why did Jacob love Joseph more than his brothers? Think back to the story. You remember that when, when Jacob uh, moved to the land where his uncle Laban was, um, he fell in love with Rachel. And so he worked to, to marry Rachel. Uh, they get married. They didn't have electric lights and all that. He wakes up in the morning and it's not Rachel, it's Leah. So what do you think about that? You that are engaged... Can you imagine? I mean, I don't know how this would work out in our day, but maybe you had a, a nighttime wedding and the lights went out. But, <laughs> but can you imagine waking up in the morning and finding out the person you married wasn't the person you were in love with? I mean, that's... that's Jacob was a trickster, and Jacob just got tricked by the master trickster. And that kind of thing went on. And then to make matters worse, you know, he ends up being able to marry Rachel too, but Rachel can't have kids. So first, Jacob is tricked into marrying Leah. Second, Leah has all these kids and Rachel has none. Till finally, after a long time, finally Rachel has a son and his name is Joseph. Now, for all the criticism you might level at Jacob for loving Joseph more, how do you think you would have responded if this was the first son born to the woman you had loved from the first who had gone many years not able to bear children? So, as much as we might fault Jacob, who was it that providentially brought about this problem in his life? Who controls whether you have children or not? Who needed, who was wise enough to know how Jacob, the trickster, needed to learn to be humbled and to turn away from being Mr. Trickster? God. God was the one that him, Jacob, in the way he did so that he loved Joseph more. And then the next question, which is even more specific, who sent the dreams? Because they weren't just any dreams. They were dreams about what would actually happen. They were prophecies. And sometimes, as we read through Scripture, God sends dreams to let people know 
what's going on. He, he does that. He's actually still doing that today some. We see that particularly in the Muslim world with people being directed to where they can find a Bible or, or can find a Christian. So, so if you think about it, God, God was the one who sets up this problem. And you're going, wait a minute. That just doesn't quite seem right that, that God would set up this problem. But he did. Because God is a God that turns evil into good. God knows how to orchestrate things. So we see that the response of the brothers is hatred. So much hatred, they actually want to kill Joseph. Genesis 37, 18 to 20, they saw him from afar, and before, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. Remember, he had been sent out by his dad to see how his brothers were, to bring them provisions. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Their hatred is really shifted from his just being the favored son to the fact that he's having these dreams, something that God has actually revealed. They hate him because God has revealed things to him about him and about them that they don't like. They say, come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him and we will see what will become of his dreams. So... There's a lot that goes on. They decide not to kill him. Let's not kill him. Instead, let's just throw him in this pit for now. And they still tell the same story to, to Jacob. But along come some traders who can buy a slave. And so in Genesis 37, verse 27, Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let, us, let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. Remember, the Ishmaelites were descendants of Abraham as well through Ishmael. And his brothers listened to him. This is Judah. And then the Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. Okay, here you are. You are... In this large family, you're the favored son. You're, you're used to being treated with great respect from your family. You've got the favored place. You're hated by your brothers. You're about 17 years old, and suddenly you're a slave. Think, think about the difference in your life if you... The, how, how many of you are under 17 right now? 17 or younger. Just hold your hand up high. I'm 17 or younger. Okay. Think about at age 17, suddenly you're ripped away from your family. You're sold as a slave to go live in a foreign country. How do you like that? Did that sound like the beginning of a grand adventure? No, that's like the worst possible thing you could think happening to you. And that's what happens to Joseph. He's sold by his brothers into slavery. And you say, well, you know, Joseph... You're going to be forgotten. Your life is over. You're down in Egypt, and who knows if we'll ever hear from you again. But we're told in Genesis 39, verses 2 to 4, the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. Because we know his master, his name was Potiphar. His master saw that the Lord was with him. I mean, it was so obvious that God was blessing Joseph, even though he's a slave, 
that even his master sees that God is blessing him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he, his master, made him, that is, Joseph, overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. So here he is a slave, but, but he's living really like a governor. I mean, he's living like the most important person in the household in this person who works for Pharaoh himself. He's in charge of Pharaoh's bodyguard. And so God blesses him with great success because the Lord is with him. And that's the key to everything, whether you're free or whether you're a slave. If the Lord is with you, you're going to be okay. The Lord will use you where you are. Sometimes we think, you know, if only I could change my status, then God could really use me. If only I were grown up, then God could use me. I'm just a kid. If only I could finish school, then God would use me. I'm just a student. If only I were married, then God could use me because I'm, I'm unmarried and I want to be married. Or maybe you're married and it's not gone as well as you would like. If only I could be free from my marriage. Or, or maybe if only we could have kids. Or maybe if, if, if only I could get a promotion at work. If somehow my status could change, then my life could count for Jesus. Your life can count for Jesus where you are. The Lord is with you. And so instead of looking just to change your status... Look to serve God wherever you are and to walk with him and see what God will do with that. Well, that success brought some other problems. We read that he's going to end up in prison. How did that happen? Genesis 39, 8 to 9, he's falsely accused. His master's wife thinks he's good looking and she wants him for herself. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. He has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am. In other words, there's nobody greater in this house than I am. Nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? See, Joseph didn't leave God back in the promised land of Canaan. Joseph kept walking with God even as a slave. And he's still very much aware of his accountability to God and his accountability to his master. You know, sometimes success is a far greater trial for us than our failures. Because often our successes bring us into new temptations we never would have faced otherwise. If Joseph weren't good-looking, if Joseph weren't successful, this would not have been a problem. And why, why, why did Joseph, why was he well-favored physically, and why was he doing well? Why was he so successful? It's because the Lord was with him. Do you realize that the Lord's blessing on your life actually can bring you into difficulties you would not have faced otherwise? Temptations you would not have faced otherwise. Don't think that just because the Lord is using you or just because you're successful that now you've somehow passed the time where you could fall to really serious sins. And so Joseph's well aware of that. And so he turns her down. And so she ends up accusing him. Genesis 39, verse 17. 
We come to the end of that event where she found him in the house alone, and so she makes up a story because he still won't give in. She told him the same story, talking to Potiphar, the Hebrew servant whom you brought among us came into me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. So she basically accuses him of assault. And as soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison. I don't know why he didn't kill him. Because I think he could have. But he didn't. The place where the king's prisoners were confined. And that's significant. And he was there in prison. So he's been a slave. He's successful. Now he's a slave in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Wherever Joseph goes, the Lord is with him, and the Lord is using him in special ways. And, and this story is teaching us that, you know, whatever we're going through and however tangled it gets and how, however badly we might be treated, even when we don't deserve it, that doesn't mean that the Lord is done with us or that the Lord has forsaken us. And so the key there is that he's in a place where the king's prisoners were confined. Well, there, where he's confined, the cupbearer and the baker come, and they have dreams. Genesis 40, verses 7 and 8, So he asked Pharaoh's officers, who were with him in custody in his master's house, Why are your faces downcast today? That tells you something about Joseph, that he's actually aware of how other people are doing around him. I mean, it's bad enough that they're, they're in prison, but, but on a particular day, they're especially down. He says, they said to him, we have had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, I'm a great dream interpreter. It's a good thing you came to me. Is that what Joseph said? That's not what Joseph said. Joseph says, do not interpretations belong to God. Please tell them to me. So you see this heart for people. You see that he continues to give God glory. It's not about himself, and he asks them to tell the dreams. They tell him the dreams. He interprets the dreams of the cupbearer and the baker, and three days later, those dreams come true. Well, the cupbearer forgets all about Joseph, and of course, the baker's not remembering anything, and so so it goes on, and it it looks like Joseph is stuck in prison for the rest of his life, And along comes Pharaoh with a dream, and Pharaoh needs an interpreter. And that's the aha moment when the cupbearer remembers Joseph. And so in Genesis 41, Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dreams, and because of that, he's appointed ruler in Egypt. Pharaoh sees that the Lord is with him. Pharaoh sees that he has got divine insight and has the ability to manage helping the country get ready for seven years of famine after seven years of plenty. Well, that leads into then the saga of the rescue of the nation of Egypt and, and as well of the children of Israel. This, 
this famine extends, when we get into the famine years, it extends beyond Egypt into Canaan as well. And this is what prompts Jacob to send his sons to, to go find food in Egypt because he's heard there's food in Egypt. Why is there food in Egypt? There's food in Egypt because Jacob saw to it that they saved up food in Egypt to get ready for the famine. Why did they know that there was going to be a famine they needed to save up? Because God sent dreams. How could God sending dreams ever get Joseph in a place where he actually controls preparing Egypt for that? Because God sent dreams to a baker and a butler that were in prison with Joseph. Why was Joseph in prison? Because he was falsely accused. And you can track it all the way back. The reason Joseph was where he is and the reason he could do what he did was all because of the providential care of God. And so there's this rescue. And in verses 42 to, I mean, Genesis 42 to 50, you have this amazing story of, of how uh, Joseph's brothers go back and forth, and there's not time tonight to go through all that chronicle, but ultimately it leads to all of the children of Israel moving into Egypt to weather the rest of the famine, and they end up staying in the best of the land. There is restoration. And you think about it. If your brothers had sold you into slavery and your brothers hated you so much that that was actually a better choice than what they wanted to do, they wanted to murder you, what are the chances after you've been away all this time that they would actually get together with you? And from their end of it, from, Joseph, from Jacob's end of it, he thinks Joseph is dead. It, it, he couldn't even imagine that he could ever be reconciled and be restored to, to his son Joseph that he loved, and God makes the impossible possible and brings them all together. Well, Jacob lives some 17 years in Egypt. He gets to enjoy um, Joseph and his family, his boys that are born to him. Um, There's just like a happily ever after kind of ending, but then Jacob dies. He's an old man, he dies. And the brothers, who knew years ago they did wrong, and they were riddled by that guilt all these years, even after they had made things right with Joseph, they said, ah, maybe Joseph made peace with us just because our father Jacob was alive. And now that he's dead, he's going to lower the boom, and he can do that because he is the second most powerful person in all the land. And so they come kind of on hands and knees like, please don't kill us. And Joseph says, no, I'm not in God's place. And he's actually is sorrowful that they would think that he would, he would retaliate, that, retaliate that way. Why wouldn't he want to retaliate? He had the power to do it. And he explains in Genesis 50 and verse 20, as for you, you meant evil against me. It was evil what they did. But God meant it, that evil, for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. You were trying to do evil. God turned it for good. So instead of killing one person, you actually saved a nation. And all these people were restored. Well, Joseph ends up coming to the end of his days. He doesn't live as long as his father did. Um, I mean, he lives beyond his father's death, but he doesn't live to the number of years, only 110 years. 
And as he's dying, we read his words. Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. He ends up in a coffin in Egypt. If you turn one page in your Bible, you turn to the book of Exodus. 400 years later, and Moses is born. And the fulfillment of what Joseph says in faith here is about to take place. We read in Hebrews eleven twenty two by faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Fact is that God had told Abraham that Abraham's descendants would live in a foreign land for 400 years before they came back to Canaan. I mean, what are the chances that a people that have, have lived in, in a land this long and that, are, that end up being slaves there too, after those arise who don't know Joseph, what are the chances that they'll ever be released? I mean, 430 years. I haven't done the math. I'm just doing it. 430 years ago, what was the year? Somebody who's really good at math, tell me. I didn't put it in my notes, so I'm not going to try to do math in front of you. Who has it? 1623. Okay. You've been living a place, your people, since 1623, and now you're slaves. What are the chances that you're actually going to make it out of there? Well, chances are great if God has promised it, and that's exactly what God did. So what do we make of Joseph's story? Well, Joseph's life is part of redemption history. Had he not been sold into slavery and then been unjustly imprisoned, Egypt and Israel would not have survived the famine. In Egypt, Israel grew to be a great nation, ready to return to the promised land in God's time. And from Israel would come the ultimate Redeemer, Jesus Christ of the tribe of Judah. Israel's survival was necessary to the salvation of the world through Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, who was a descendant of Israel through Judah. So I want us to like put this all together. Ultimately, God used the hatred of Joseph's brothers They're selling him into slavery, along with the false accusations of Potiphar's wife that landed him in prison, to save all whose faith is in Jesus Christ. It was part of that story. It was leading to that story. It was setting it up. Now, our role is not exactly the same as Joseph's. But if we're believers, our lives are connected to the same grand redemption story that God is bringing to pass in human history. And for that reason, whatever happens in our lives as God's people has meaning and value and purpose, even the bad stuff, because God turns evil to good. Paul says it this way in Romans 8, and we know that for those who love God, 
All things work together for good for those who are the called according to His purpose. What is His purpose? For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, to be like Jesus, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those He predestined, He also called. Those whom He called, He justified and declared righteous. Those whom He justified, He also glorified. The whole scheme from eternity past to eternity future, God takes everything in between and works it for good for those who belong to Him through faith in Jesus. And that means you. And that means me. And, you know, on the day-by-day basis, the days when you're falsely accused, the days when people would hate you, the days when you're mistreated, if you even landed in prison, if, if the worst possible things are happening in your life, you're losing the people that you love, your life is completely upended, even that God weaves together for good to make you more like Jesus and to bring you to a point that you will be sinless and immortal, enjoying the new heaven and new earth forever. The Lord is with us, and he turns evil to good. Let's pray. God, thank you for your grace to us. And Lord, there are some really, really hard, hard things that we don't understand that come into our lives. Things, maybe not exactly what Joseph went through, but things that would tear at our hearts just as much, things that perplex us and that that we can't figure out, the long periods of waiting that don't make sense to us. But Lord, to know that you love us, your steadfast love is there for us. To know that you are with us, you've promised that you are, and to know that you will turn whatever it is that we're dealing with for good because we belong to you. God, that gives us hope, and that gives us strength, and that gives us purpose. God, help us live this week in light of the fact that you are a God that turns evil to good. For it's in Christ's name we pray.